Okay. Shalom, everyone, and welcome to another class uh, in Web Yeshiva, Exodus from Family to a Nation. Um, and let me share sources. Okay. Um, so we started reading um, um, at the end of Perik Aleph last time, and and we already and we started Perik Bet chapter two with the birth of the child who has a mother and a father that have no name and a sister that have no name, and the sister is very smart and she's seeing something special. She's watching him from afar. We spoke about the different different words uh, about the sister. And, and uh, we, we also met the daughter of Pharaoh, the princess, uh, who went to wash on the, on the Nile. And she saw the, um, um, the teva, she saw the basket and she pushed it, she pulled it towards her and opened it um, instead of pushing it away or giving it to one of the policemen uh, one of her maids in order to be killed uh, as her father uh, 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 ordered. And that's another sign for, for, the, for the sister that when she see that the daughter of the, the, this princess, princess, Egyptian princess, is not pushing the child away, is not drowning him, is not sending him to be killed, she understands there's something different about this, this Egyptian uh, royalty. And um, and we and I and I what I asked last week is that we see two sides like like we have a screen with two sides. One side is what's happening to the sister watching the child watching the basket from afar, and in the other side of the screen is the daughter of Pharaoh entering the water and pulling the the basket towards her, and then she opened the um, the basket. And, uh, and, and I think we stopped here. Uh, please correct me if, if I'm wrong, but, but let's, let's read that again and continue from here. Um, uh, verse, verse, verse six. When she opened the basket, the, the daughter of Pharaoh, she saw that it was a child, a boy crying, and she took pity on it and said, and I would like to stop here because what the Torah is doing, because we don't have, we didn't get the Torah, we didn't receive the Torah with sounds and with pictures. The way for the Torah to tell us what's important and how things roll to happen is for us to read each word separately. Like we don't know the rest of the sentence. And this is the order of, the, of, of how things uh, happen or the, the, the importance of each and every word. Because when she opens the basket, she sees the child. And she sees everything in the same time. But what the verse is doing by the Torah using word by word is, is like in, in, in a very suspense story. First she opened and then she saw. What did she see? She saw a child. Okay, and we can breathe a little bit. She didn't see 
a Jewish, a Hebrew child, a Hebrew baby that has to be thrown away, she see a child. And then she see a boy crying. Okay, that's another good thing. She, she see a boy cry, she see a crying baby. In other words, that the motherly side of her, the humane side of her is what's, is, is what's watching this baby. And then she even, it even says, alav, in the Hebrew, alav, which means she took pity on, on the boy. Now, this is a big surprise because having a pity over a, a crying child, which is obviously Hebrew, we'll see it in a minute, and that's exactly the opposite from her father, the cruel king who, who sends babies to be killed because he has something ununderstandable against this nation who is growing and growing and growing. And they bother him by who they are and how large they became, you know, in, 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 few, in few tens or hundreds of years. And he wants to get rid of them, or he wants them to feel that they're under his ruling and they're, and they're total slaves. And all of a sudden, his own child, his own uh, a daughter, having mercy, take mercy, have some, have some compassion over the baby. Now, I'd like, to, I'd like to open the picture because I think that above the the practical reason that this is why the child was saved because the daughter of pharaoh took pity on it we need to see the bigger picture and the bigger picture is that when we become from a family to a nation we have to remember that even if we feel that god is with us there are individuals in the other nations that also can behave in a humane way in a moral way. In other words, our journey from becoming a nation is opening our eyes to see the individuals in the other nations that are also moral and also obey some godly uh, um, um, way that some god some, some guidelines which is which is godly, which is which is which is moral, even though they were not directed it. To, to it. And why is that important for us, to us as, as, as a nation, you know, when we become a nation? Because the point is not for everyone to become Jewish. And it's very important because it's the difference between Judaism to Christianity and Islam, the other two Abrahamic uh, religions. And I'll say it in the words of Rav, of Rav Zaks, because I don't have better words than anything that he said. For me, like his words are you know, the, the, the best way everyone can ever say anything. Or what Rizak said is, we believe in a universal God and a particular religion. We got a mission. We got a task. Our Torah is for us. The role we need to play in the, the family of nations is what it is to be the, the nation of God that believes in God. And our intent is that everyone will you know one that everyone will believe in god in the one god that created the world we don't want everyone in the world to become jewish and keep to line with 
we because we believe in a universal God that also the Christians believe in God and the Muslims believe in God and the other people that believe in God. And that's fine. And, and I think this is not the first story in the Torah that proves us that point. When, when, when Eliezer meet Rivka, you know, when he's looking to go to find a, a wife for Yitzchak, he's not looking for a Jewish girl or a Hebrew girl or an Israelite. Those concepts are not there anymore yet he's looking for a good woman he's looking for a for for for, for a, a, a woman of uh of valor for a woman who, do, who does chesed who sees who sees the, the the environment and is seeking to help the ones who need help and we take them and we and they join our nation and this and, and the story in sefer shmot in exodus you know Throughout our journey from becoming a family to become a nation, oh, to stand oh. in front of, the, of to stand in front of uh, Mount Sinai and receive the yes. Torah, is to first see that I've we're not time. alone in the world, and there are other people around us, and we have the the concept of good and evil must be clear. Torah is evil, just by even though we would have think. Her to be evil like her father is not. She's a kind, good, merciful human being. And it's because of her that this child, who we know is Moshe, was saved. And when the Torah describes her and what happened when she opened the basket, first it tells us about her midot. It tells her about her personality. She felt for the boy she took pity on the crying baby true and at, only at the end of the verse does she say this must be a hebrew child even though as i said before when she opened the basket she saw everything in the same time but we leave the fact that it's a hebrew boy to the end because that was not what was important for her what was important for her is right now how to take care of the baby that is who is crying, and at the end is you know the recognition that he's he's a Hebrew child. Now, how did you know he was Hebrew? Many ways to know that his features, right? Because the Hebrews came from Shem, and the Egyptians came from Ham, and the features of the face were totally different. Could be that what she saw was the clothes, the wrapping that he was in, because you know as as a as a minority. As an ethnic minority, it's it's like a known thing in sociology that every ethnic minority keeps elements in their clothing, you know, some some stitches and 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 um, 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 weaving, etc. So she realized this is this is a slave. This is a child of slaves. This is not an Egyptian or 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 any child that belongs even to a poor Egyptian family. Now, I said last week that uh, uh, we know from Egyptian stories that it was, it, it was, that's what poor people in Egypt did. When a child was born and they couldn't take care of the child, they would put them by the Nile, at the reed by the Nile, and the Egyptian uh, um, um, women priests would, would go and collect those babies and bring them to the temples and raise them there. In other words, 
Yocheved is willing for her baby to be adopted or to be taken care in an Egyptian temple as long as he will live. And that's another thing which is very important. The, the, the strive for life, the, the, the fact that I'm willing for him to have maybe the different life I wanted for him, as long as he will live, including with the fact, with the knowledge that there's something different about this baby. You know, the light that came with him, something was different. Maybe she couldn't tell exactly what, but he was different and, and she hoped something will come out from that baby connected with her, with, with his sister that knew something is going to happen with him. We know the Midrashim that said that, that she got, she got a, 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 a prophecy that this child will be the redeemer. But at that point, when we have, when we have the sister in one side and we have this, the daughter of Pharaoh in the other side, and there's no, there's no equality be, um, between those two. Well, at least not according to the ancient world, in the ancient empires, that if you're a royal family, you are like God, you're above the rest of the people, you have more rights to live, and the common people, definitely the slaves, are second-rate people. And what the Torah is doing, she's saying, well, no, no, we work according to, to different rules. What rules? The rules of Sefer Bereshit. Every human being is created by the, by the image of God. Even the daughter of Pharaoh has an image of God in her. Because every person does. It is, but it depends if, we, if every person, what every person choose to do with the life they got. And when we have Miriam, we all know her name, right? So when we have Miriam standing in front of the daughter of Pharaoh, she's standing them there by the right that God gave her, that her life are worthwhile, the same way that the daughter of Pharaoh's life are worthwhile. But the daughter of Pharaoh surprises us that we know that she also thinks that the baby's life is worth saving, not like her father who doesn't value the life of the, of the Hebrew slaves. So when Miriam sees that, maybe she sees it on the face maybe of Batparo, maybe by the fact that, you know, that instead of pushing the basket away to the Nile, she brought the basket closer to her and she saw on her face the way she looked at the baby and Miriam, who was definitely a wise girl, understand that this Egyptian woman is to be trusted. And she runs to Batparo and she, she picks out of, you know, she jumps out of nowhere. And the next thing we hear is Miriam speaking to Batparo, a young, ch a young child. She was five, six, seven, eight, maybe 10, no, not older. And she stands in front of Batparo and she says, then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get you a Hebrew nurse to suckle the child for you? Now, this is not a question. It sounds like a question, but she tells her what it needs to be done. And here, the daughter of Pharaoh again had the opportunity to say to, to this child who jumped out of nowhere with a lot of guts to stand in front of a, of, of a princess and tell her, I, I can't, and, and, and and she and Miriam by that is telling Bat Paro, I know you know he's Hebrew. 
And I know you know I'm Hebrew because I'm also look like Hebrew and I'm also a, I dressed like a, like a slave. And she turning to that boy and she said, you were it, it, between the lines, of course, you were merciful. You no. didn't kill that baby. And you, because you know he's such a young baby, three months old, you also know that he needs to nurse. And you also know that the best woman to nurse him is someone Hebrew. Now this can be connected to the, to the maybe to the ancient notion that, you know, every child should nurse from his own, uh, from his own uh, people. But maybe, maybe also, because I don't know if, if Miriam knew that, but we know that. We know that, that in the ancient world, one of the most horrible things that, that, that used to be is that poor women, not royal women, poor women were, um, um, were um, uh, forced when they were, when they were pregnant to go to a noble person's house of the royal family, having, I'll start it again. If, if someone from the royal family was pregnant, to nurse was not something they did. They feared to, that nursing the babies is going to hurt them, is going to take away their, their strength. And what they did, they used to hire slaves and poor women who were also pregnant and they used to live with them. And the minute that poor woman, woman had her baby, they, she could nurse her baby just as long as the royal woman had her baby. Because at that moment, that poor woman were taking to nurse the princess or the queen's or the noble woman's baby. And nobody care what's going to be with her own baby. Usually what happened that the poor women got together and they all helped each other nursing their own babies. No, no daughter of Pharaoh is going to nurse the baby. So when Miriam is doing, she's saying, I, I'd like to, again, between the lines, what I hear here. I'd like, I see that you like the baby. I see that you don't want to hurt the baby, but if you want his best, if you want even more his best, the best for him, you know that he should nurse by a Hebrew woman. And again, the reply of Bat Parok could have been, no, thank you. I have my own nurses. May, um, I don't know how to say it. Women who nurse. Uh, um, I, 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 have, I have those at my home. I don't need you to bring me any, any other woman. But the daughter of Pharaoh is saying one word back to her. And Pharaoh's daughter answered, yes. Now, it's not really yes in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew is go, lechi. Now, I, I found that word amazing because the daughter of Pharaoh in order for her to listen to that young, young girl, trust her that she will go bring a woman, a Hebrew woman, to nurse the baby she just found in the basket and not try to do any tricks. And there's something that, that is happening between 
you know, the, 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 in, in the eye connection maybe between Miriam and the daughter of Pharaoh, that they're both trust each other. I would even say that it's the first, you know, it's the first women bonding that we find in, in, in Tanakh. Even Rachel and Leah, you know, were not so together in their bond. And, and she trusts her. And she said, go. And Miriam goes. So the girl went and called the mother and the child's mother. Did Batparo knew Miriam is going to call the mother? Probably. But Miriam goes and she fetch her mother, who is the mother of the baby. And, and the daughter of Pharaoh is talking now to the mother. And she says, and Pharaoh's mother said to her, to the mother, take this child and nurse it for me. And I will pay your wages. Now, listen to this. It's really unbelievable. Not only the daughter of Pharaoh trusted Miriam to go and bring her something decent and something, uh, some woman that she can trust. She, get, she understand that the best for this baby is to be nursed by a Hebrew woman, or maybe she realized it was her, his mother. Probably, because I, I guess the minute that Yochevet saw the, the baby, you know, she saw it in her face that she was the mother. She trusts her to take the baby home nurse him now for how long did they nurse in the ancient world three years five years sometimes six years sometimes more but let's say five years let's say between three to five years you're going to take the baby back with you you're going to nurse him raise him i'm going to pay you because i found him i'm going to pay because you're doing me a job you're doing me a favor and i'm going to pay you so the woman took the child and nursed it. And now we're all in suspense because what Yochavit could have done, now that the daughter of Pharaoh gave her, gave her Moshe, she could have just hidden from her and keep, him, keep her, him amongst the Hebrews. But she can't really do that because maybe she would be afraid the daughter of Pharaoh is going to come look for him. But there was trust. There was always trust there between the individuals. And that's another big step in becoming a nation that we as people should learn, right? There's the big, there's the big picture with the big rulers and the kings and the prince presidents and, and prime ministers and, and holy people. And there's the individual people, people that, 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 you know, that connect with each other with trust, with belief, knowing that they're doing together the best for themselves, for the baby, for this baby, for sure. And that the trust in people is, is, is immense. It's really important. When you grow up as slaves for tens, you know, for tens of years, a hundred of years, you lose trust in people, in people that are not like you people that belong to them, to the enemy. And you lose trust. Sometimes you even lose trust in yourself, in your ability to be human, to, to, to remember what it is to become, to, to be a human being. I remember one, you know, very, um, you know, shivering uh, paragraph that was written by Primo Levi, the, Holo the Holocaust uh, 
survivor who committed suicide at the end, he couldn't bear the pain. Primorovi wrote many books. In one of his books, he's, tell, he's, he's talking about one of the, one of the um, campaigners, one of the prisoners in the camp found a very little piece of mirror. And he said, we stood in line to look at ourselves. We haven't looked at ourselves for months. And that little, you know, looking at ourselves in the mirror, reminding ourselves that we have a face, that we have an image of a human being that gave us a lot of, a lot of strength. But it's very easy to forget it when you're a prisoner, when you're, when you're a slave. And now what the Torah is telling us before the big story, before Moshe is coming and saving the people, before, first of all, trust. You have to regain trust in the good of human, of people. Again, you have to know exactly who's good and who's bad, who's evil and who's, in, who is merciful. But if we don't have that trust, we can become a nation because then we'll be a, 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 a phobic nation, you know, always fearing that something bad is going to happen. We won't be able to grow. And it's already there between the lines and the suspense of what's going to happen now that, that the baby went back to his family is what, you know, everyone knew is going to happen. Yochevet trusted the daughter of Pharaoh, the daughter of Pharaoh trusted Yochevet and Miriam, and when the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, who made him her son, and she named him Moses. Now, uh, let, me, uh, let me stop here, and then we'll continue. Now, this is also, uh, let's, let me for a minute read the Hebrew, okay? Vayigdal hayelid. Now, how old was he? I wrote here, you know, this is the question that will, will, you know, will accompany us today in our class. How old is Moshe? How old was the baby when he, uh, uh, when, when his mother took him back, took him back to the daughter of Pharaoh? Was he three? Was he five? But three and five is old enough to remember something from your household. In other words, in other words, during those years that he was with his mother and father and sister and brother, they taught him who he was. They told him he was Hebrew. There's no other way because afterwards when he grow up and he, he goes to his brothers, we'll see it in a minute, how would he know he, he, they are his brothers? Only two answers. One, his family taught him something about their nation, about their, not their nation, their origin the Hebrews, the family, and, and he also mean, I'll, I'll keep the other one in a minute, okay? But let's go back to here. So they took him back after, let's say, three or five years. And the daughter of Pharaoh, and he became her son. She adopted the baby, Moshe, and she calls him Moshe. Now, in any way that we're going to look at it, the one who gives Moshe his name is the daughter of Pharaoh. We don't know how his mother and father called him. Even though the Midrashim tried to say they called him Tov, they called him this. But what it, what's written in the Pshat is that the name of the baby is from the mother who adopted him. 
the daughter of Pharaoh, and she calls him Moshe. Now, in Hebrew, it says that she calls him Moshe, because I, because I drew him out of the water. Now, in order for her to call him Moshe, because she knew the verb Meshitihu in Hebrew, that means she knew Hebrew. And the fact that the daughter of, of Pharaoh knew Hebrew is a little bit far-fetched. Why would you ever learn Hebrew? Why would you know? Maybe we can say, you know, the, 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 the king wanted his daughters to know many, many languages, maybe. But because we know that Moshe from Egyptian for born of associated with Masha drew out. Now, the, um, this, uh, um, let me just do this. What, what the translation here is trying to do is to say that Moshe, the name Moshe, is associated with Masha drew out in Hebrew. But this is the important one, born off. Because the word Moshe is actually uh, um, an Egyptian word. And the Egyptian word is Masa, Mese, Meses. If you know foreign languages, in, in, in Spanish, it's, Mo, it's Mose. In, in, in Portuguese, it's Moises. In English, it's Moses. Like, where do they, where, where are these elements come from? It comes from the, 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 the Egyptian way of saying the son of, born of, the child of. I'll give you an example that maybe it'll make it easier to understand. We all know of the king Ramses. You know, Ramses was a famous, you know, pharaoh. Ramses, there were generic names. The word Ramses is, is from two, two, different, two different words. The word Ra and the word Meses. The king Ramses called himself the son, Meses, of the, of the god Ra. Ra was the name of an Egyptian god. So Meses is the child the, the, the born, was born of. So in other words, what the daughter of Pharaoh is really saying in the Hebrew, in, in, in the Torah, is she called Moshe, Moshe, because Minamai Meshitu, because a dream from the water, and therefore he is mine. He is my child because I dream out of the water and I called him and I call him the son or my son or the child. And it just works beautifully with the Hebrew. But this is just to, 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 to show us how godly the Torah is. Um, and, 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 and the fact that we keep calling Moshe with his the name that Batfar called him. We don't call him with the name that his mother and father gave him. We don't call him by the name that God maybe gave him. She drew him out of the water. She saved his life. She's entitled of calling him whatever she wants. And we all accept that, including God, keeps calling him Moshe. Now, of course, there's something also something very symbolic here. Because as she drew Moshe out of the water, Moshe, in the name of God, is going to draw the people of Israel out of Egypt through the sea to freedom. So he's doing the same thing to the people of Israel. And I would like you to keep that in mind because from that point and on, 
we're going to see that everything that is happening to Moshe as an individual is a sign for what's going to happen to the people of Israel as a nation. In other words, it's somehow in this journey of the hero, Moshe has to go through his own exodus before the people before he will be able to lead the people of Israel in the same exodus that he went through. And it's about to start. But remember that in his name, he has the ability of drawing out the people from Mitzrayim because of what? And the sign is what she, what the daughter of Pharaoh, uh, the, the generous act that she did to him and, she, and he grew up with her in her palace. So how old is Moshe when he went, came to live with Batpa'ah? Again, let's say three, let's say five, but from that point on, he's living as an Egyptian prince. He lives in the palace. However, I think I strongly feel, and I think that the verses are supporting it, that she continues to show us how unusual she was because she knew he was Hebrew and because she understood that identity is something crucial. She never asked him to forget where he came from. And she never asked him to um, divorce his past and his, and his Hebrew identity. How do we know that? Because the next verse is, is saying, sometime after that, when Moses, Moses had grown up, how much grown up? How old is Moses? Again, how old is Moshe? How much? How many years passed between the time she took him from Yochevet after she finished nursing, nursing him and adopted him till the time he grew up? Listen to the Hebrew. And she brought him to the daughter of Pharaoh. He's much older now. Obviously, he's much older. How old? Was he 16? Was he 12? Was he 20? And how old was he? And it says, Sometime after that, when Moshe uh, had grown up, he went out to his kind folk, um, kinsfolks. Okay, it's better in the Hebrew. He went to his brothers. How, do you know, how does he know they're, the, they're his brothers? Because she told him. Because she was such a, you know, it's anachronistic to say, but she was such a humane person. She, she was, and she was such a kind, she, she was deep. She understood she cannot, if she'll disconnect him from his family, from his past, it won't, it's not going to do good to him. It's not, gonna, it's, not, it's not good for him. And he was her child, you know, officially, not by blood, but officially. And she raised him in the palace, in her palace, but he always knew he's, he's Hebrew. And when he grew up and he went out to see his brothers and he witnessed their labor. Okay. Here we have two vayar, two words, two verbs. And he saw, he witnessed, and he saw. Now, this is also very significant. And again, remember what I said before, we'll, we'll see it throughout the story. What's happening to Moshe is what's gonna happen to the people of Israel. 
what he's learning in his own little exodus, which is not so little, it's very drastic, but in his exodus is also something they will have to learn. What is he learning here? He grows up and he goes out. There's something we have to learn by going out. If we stay in, in our sheltered areas, there are things in life we miss. We, live, we, we miss life itself. What he, what he does when he go out, first of all, he meets his brothers, but he sees. When we go out, we get a chance to see things we don't, we can't see when we're in, that we're inside. And he starts observing. And the observation is crucial for the growth of everyone to look, to look around us and to see what can we learn from everything, what things we want to adapt for our life, what things we don't want to adapt for our life. But we live, I, I, I hear the, both the word vayar and vayar, you see there are two in Hebrew, the two words vayar, vayar, the English says witnessed and saw, that that, that is an indication of someone who lives with a, with, a, with, a, with a deep awareness. We have to be aware of what's happening around us. And only when we are aware of what's happening around us can we then notice things that has to be fixed. Because what, what he sees here is he witnessed their labor, okay? In other words, it's the first time that it's not only theoretical that he knows he's part of the Hebrews and he's in the palace and they, they are slaves. It's maybe the first time that he witnesses their labor and he sees the difference between him and them. He's one of them, but he's very different. He looks like an Egyptian prince. He doesn't look like a, like a slave. He's not down there where they are, but he sees and he notices and he takes notes and he's aware of a new situation. And then while he was witnessing their labor, he also saw something else. What he saw was, and he went out to his uh, king's uh, folk and witnessed their labors. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his kinsmen. He saw an Egyptian hitting a Hebrew. Now, only by seeing that, that an Egyptian is hitting a Hebrew, and because that's why is telling us, it means that something is happening with Moshe. And he knows that he needs to act. In other words, what we gain from looking, you know, with open, wide eyes in reality is, first of all, witnessing other people that suffers more than us. But inside, we're witnessing, and not, not all the time we can do something about it. You know, we can, we can list all the, uh, you know, all the malevolence and the horrific things that are happening in the world, but we know that we can't, we can't do much about most of the things. But then he's seeing his pin in, in, in like in a more, you know, in a telescopic uh, look, he see in a microscopic look, sorry, he sees, you know, he sees one incident and that incident is injustice. Something, rare, something there is wrong. There's a strong Egyptian policeman who is hitting one of his brothers who is a slave. Who is in a weak point anyway and it wasn't right 
and Moshe jumps to do, you know, to, to, to do justice. And what the Torah tells us is the next minute he turned this way and, and, and that. He turned this way and that. And seeing no one is about, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now, this is, this is a big thing because it has to be, since he killed the Egyptian, and he hid him in, in the sand. In other words, what, first of all, we, it's very complex because we can say, what, the first thing he does when he go out from the palace is to kill somebody? You know, what's happening? What's going on? And, and the, all, the, all, the, all the commentators are saying, that's why he said, it says first he saw and he saw. In other words, only when he realized that the situation in front of his eyes is of danger to his brother, that the Egyptian is, was always, almost about to kill the Hebrew, and there was so he and he knew he was unjust. He turned and hit the Egyptian, and we just we and the I don't have words to. This is a drama. This is a big drama. You know, the first act that Moshe does when he leaves the palace after he grown up a little bit, and we don't know exactly how old he is. And he looks into reality, into the eyes of the reality, and he sees injustice, and he acts on it. Now, it's for the good and the best, but it's also very dangerous. In other words, there's something about Moshe that inside of him, he knows that uh, justice must be done between people. And just because you're the Egyptian and he's the slave doesn't mean that you can beat him to death. And he looked here and that, you know, this way and that way to see that no one's seeing. In other words, he understands that what he's about to do, uh, not, not, uh, his, his, uh, his fellow Egyptians are not going to like it and turns this, and, this way and this way. And then he hits the, um, uh, uh, the Egyptian uh, person and he puts him in the, sound, in the sand. And I'd like us to remember that because what Moshe will have to learn is, and that's what God is going to teach him. And it, again, it's the same process that the people of Israel must learn. Moshe act, and now I'm talking only about the pshat, only about the verses, only about what Torah is telling us, not about the level of the parshanut and the level of the midrash and the explanations. I'm only, I'm just listening to the words now of the Torah. And what I hear in the words of the Torah is that at that level where the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt, and there was a chance for one of them, you know, to, I would even say to take revenge on Egyptians and to have some justice, that's what, that's what Moshe did. But when we receive, when we, when we will receive the Torah, God will tell us, will tell us to do such a thing is bad as long as you're not in danger. In other words, if someone is coming to kill you, you can kill the people in order, you can kill the other person in order to protect you. But, but this person had to become, had to 
what, what, the, what, the, what the Torah is telling us is that we have to bring him to trial. And it's a whole different system. And what the people of Israel know is, is what happened in Mitzrayim, you know, and how, how bitten they were. And maybe, yes, if we would have given them the chance to re take revenge of the Egyptians, maybe they would also, you know, do what Moshe did, but they couldn't because they were slave and he wasn't a slave. In other words, we also hear here what the free person can do and that and the slave cannot do. But when the free person can do things, he also has to take responsibility for what he did. And because, and that's the reason he hit him in the sand, because maybe, you know, he didn't want anyone to know about it. And the second day, and, and it's, it's amazing that Torah is not telling us, after a few years, he went out again. No, no, no. This happened the, ne the next day. And the next day, when he went the next day, why did he go out the next day? Because he saw enough things in the first day that curious him. And he wanted, he wanted to know more about his brethren. And the next day when he came out, he found two Hebrews fighting. What, what, why? Why are we hearing this story? In other words, it's fine for us to be okay with a story about an Egyptian hitting a Hebrew and getting what he, what he needs to get. But the Torah is not about revenge. And the Torah is not about killing. The Torah is about teaching. And what the Torah is telling us is, you think only, only Egyptians can be un, uh, unjust? You think only Egyptians can be, can be cruel to the Hebrews? No, it can happen between us as well. And here he sees something which also surprised him because I'm sure he thought that because we're all Hebrews, and I'm Hebrew like everyone else, and I'm sure they all love each other and they never fight. But all of a sudden, the Torah tells us the second day that, that when he goes out of the, the palace, the second day he sees two Hebrew people fight. And that's, another, that's the second lesson that Moshe has to learn, that people fight. And sometimes they fight because of, because of uh, um, status differences, and sometimes they fight because people disagree about things. And here, in, he, he understands that he, he can't kill him because, you know, he, he wouldn't think he can kill a Hebrew. But he tells, he knows who is to be blamed. That's another, another riddle here. How did he know who was to be blamed? Because he was watching. And when you start to learn how to watch, you can find, you know, very... Uh, gentle, um, uh, subtle hints in reality that tells you a lot of information. There was something about the way that they fought that he knew who who was the oppressor and who ran, and who was the the weaker one. And he went the next day and he found two Hebrews fighting. So he said to the offender, the Hebrew word is much harsher, rasha. The one who was was the offender. He was a rasha. He wasn't just a hitting person. He was, he was evil. He was rasha. And he said to him, why do you strike your fellow? He really honestly cannot understand how can a Hebrew hit another Hebrew? 
And of course, the word re'ech, the word re'echa is very, is very significant because we're going to find the word re'echa in the Torah, this, These are all, and, and in other words, Moshe is learning how to become a leader and how to become a person and how to become a judge and how to become a good person and how to become Hebrew. There's a lot of things to learn. How to become your, how to love your fellow men, how to make a difference between Rasha and Tzadik, between good and evil. There's a lot of things to learn, a lot of things that we had to learn as, as a nation. And this person has, as you know, he's, he's, uh, he's fighting back. Moshe is telling him, Lama Echa. And that person is telling him, and he retorted, Misamcha. Who made you chief and ruler over us? Let me just re- let me just re-say that. The person, the Hebrew person who was the Rasha, looks towards Moshe and he's like, he's telling you, where did you come from? You? You think you're one of us? You who live in the palace all these years? Why do you think you have any uh, any authority over me? Who do you think you are? That's what he's telling him. But then he's, he adds, do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? He knows. How did he know? He knows. And Moshe was frightened and thought, then the matter is known. Now again, why would Moshe be afraid? He's the son of Bat Paroh. Why would he be afraid of uh, of a threat by an by a Hebrew slave? It means that maybe he already made his decision not to stay in the palace, but somehow to join his brothers and family. But when that person is telling him, "I'm going to tell that you killed the Egyptian," and they're going to come after you, why would they come after him? Maybe. Because even though the daughter of Pharaoh adopted him, because everyone knew he was from a Hebrew origin, they maybe they suspected his, his loyalty. And after Moshe experienced um, wrath of, of justice and killed the Egyptian, and then he also felt some justice when he turns and he was trying to make peace between them. And that person, you know, was talking to him in a new way that maybe nobody ever spoke to Moshe that way before. And then he feels a new emotion and he's frightened, he's frightened. And the fear caused him to think, people know that I killed the Egyptian, I have to flee now. This is not going to be a very uh, foreign feeling for the Jewish people. The fear, the fear of the other nations, the fear that something, that even though we did something just in our way, in our eyes, they're not going to, you know, judge it for us and, and want our life. And Moshe experienced fear. He doesn't go to talk to Bat Paro. 
He doesn't go home to speak to his parents, doesn't seek help from anyone. What he does is he fear. Now, the word Vayira in Hebrew and he fear as the same letters as Vayar and he saw. Yes, sometimes what you see makes you fear. But when you decide to take responsibility and act as a leader, you need to know that you pay, you, you pay a price. And the price that the people of Israel is go, are going to pay as when they become a nation is also to be the different nation amongst the nations. We were always the different ones in what we eat, in what we did, in how we married, in what we, in, in, not in what we wore because we adopted different, different, different clothing, but, but in, 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 uh, in rules, in, 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 inside rules of religious rules, Shabbat, you know, everyone else worked in Shabbat. They, they stopped, you know, on Sunday or Friday if they're, if they're uh, Islam, but we were very different. Moshe all of a sudden uh, learns that he's different. But he's different both sides. He's different from the Egyptians, even though he was the son of the of Batpa'o because he grew and he grew up at, at her palace. He's different because he's Hebrew. And he's different by his brothers because he's not really, you know, one of them because he grew up in the palace. And he doesn't, and he feels like he doesn't have a safe spot, doesn't have a place, doesn't have where to put his feet. And when he hears that Paro heard about what he did, if we thought Pharaoh will have mercy over Moshe because he is the son of his daughter, well, no, because it's the same Pharaoh, the same cruel Pharaoh. And when Pharaoh learned of the matter, he sought to kill Moshe. But Moshe fled from Paro and he arrived. It says, And he arrived in the land of Midian and sat down beside the well. Okay, now what can we do with that sentence? What can we do with that pasuk? He runs to Midian, that means he ran, he ran outside of Egypt towards the desert. Okay, um, and he, he ran outside towards the desert away from Paro. Again, he ran away, he left everything behind. And then he sat beside a well. Now, what does that remind us to sit next to a well? Well, we have the story of Yaakov next to a well. Before that, we have the story of Eliezer finding Rivka by the well. Yaakov is finding Rachel by the well. Eliezer is finding Rivka by the well to, to, in other words, there's something about the well. The well is a place, not only that it's a motive, that it's a repeating motive, but it played a real role in the ancient life, in the ancient world, because people brought their flocks, their sheep, their cattle, their, their camels to the well to water them. It was a gathering place. Now, in one way, in, in, in one side, for one side, he's fledging Egypt. But in, the other way, in, in, in another way, he's sitting by the well, and the well is a, is, is a, is a public place. 
for sure is going to meet people in the world. Did you want to meet people? Or did you want, what did you want more? To meet people or to run away from Paro? Or maybe both. And the, and the flee from Pharaoh led him to Midian. And at that point, he really, and we feel it with him, and he, and he doesn't know what to do. Also, Vayeshev Be'eretz Midian. Vayeshev means to dwell, or sat, or settle. How long was he there? Did he just arrive and find himself at the well, beside a well? Or did he settle in Eretz Midian for a few weeks and then he was going to a well, maybe something will happen there? Again, it's very, very close. It's, it's enigmatic. We don't know. We just don't know. And here again, I ask, how old is Moshe? How old is Moshe? That's even harder than the first time because the first time was easy. We know that, that nursing took, you know, took between three to six years. But how old is Moshe when he grew up and went out of the palace and all these things happened to him? And it doesn't, we don't, we, the Torah doesn't tell us. The only thing, and I told you that before, the only age we get from Moshe is when he's returning to Egypt after being in Midian and he's 80 years old. So how long was he in Midian? Was he in Midian 60 years? Was he 20 when he ran away? Was he younger when he ran away? Was he 40 when he ran away? There are two answers. But I think the real answer is, is, is an open answer. And for some reason, the Torah doesn't want to share it with us. They leave that open. There's an open space in Moshe's life that, didn't, that is, doesn't belong to us to know. It stays as a secret or as, as, a, as, a, as a mystery. And there are two options in the Parshanim. I'll tell you which one I like more, but there's two options. The first option is more realistic one, but again, it doesn't make, it, it's not as beautiful as the other one. The, the one answer is he was 20 because and he was strong enough to kill the Egyptian. He had to be, you know, a young man. But that means that he was 60 years in, in, in Midian. That's so long. The other option talks about 40 years. The reason it doesn't make sense because it means that for, he, he left the palace after 40 years. And that part doesn't make sense in that option. But the reason I love that option is because if indeed what I told you before is real, is that everything the Moshe experienced, the people of Israel will experience, he experiencing 40 years in the desert before he goes back to bring the people out to be in the, in the desert for 40 years, okay? What happens to Moshe in Midian, at least what the Torah let us know, we'll see next week. Toda rabba. Shavua tov. Shavua tov. Tu bishvat sameach. Tu bishvat sameach, nachon. Tu it's 15 of Shvat. Have some fruit. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.